This is The Jungle Book, a collection of stories by Rudyard Kipling about Mowgli, an orphan boy in India, and his animal guardians in the jungle. Letting in the Jungle Now, little brother, there's nothing more to do, said Bagheera. Come hunting with me and Baloo. He has new hives he wishes to show, and we all desire thee back again as of old. Take off that look which makes even me afraid. The man and woman will not be put into the red flower, and all goes well in the jungle. Is it not true? Let us forget the man-pack. They shall be forgotten in a little while. Where does Hathi feed tonight? Where he chooses. Who can answer for the silent one? But why? What is there Hathi can do which we cannot? Bid him and his three sons come here to me. But, indeed, and truly, little brother, it is not, it is not seemly to say, come and go to Hathi. Remember, he is the master of the jungle, and before the man-pack changed the look on thy face, he taught thee a master word of the jungle. That is all one. I have a master word for him now. Bid him come to Mowgli, the frog, and if he does not hear at first, bid him come because of the sack of the fields of Burtpur. The sack of the fields of Burtpur, Bagheera repeated two or three times to make sure. I go. Hathi can but be angry at the worst, but I would give a moon's hunting to hear a master word that compels the silent one. He went away, leaving Mowgli stabbing furiously with his skinning knife into the earth. Mowgli had never seen human blood in his life before till he had seen, and, what meant much more to him, smelled Meswa's blood on the thongs that bound her. And Meswa had been kind to him, and, so far as he knew anything about love, he loved Meswa as completely as he hated the rest of mankind. But deeply as he loathed them, their talk, their cruelty, and their cowardice, not for anything the jungle had to offer could he bring himself to take a human life and have that terrible scent of blood back again in his nostrils. His plan was simpler, but much more thorough, and he laughed to himself when he thought that it was one of old Baldeo's tales told under the peepal tree in the evening that had put the idea into his head. It was a master word, Bagheera whispered in his ear. They were feeding by the river, and they obeyed as though they were bullocks. Look where they come now. Hathi and his three sons had appeared in their usual way, without a sound. The mud of the river was still fresh on their flanks, and Hathi was thoughtfully chewing the green stem of a young plantain tree that he had gouged up with his tusks. But every line in his vast body showed to Bagheera, who could see things when he came across them, that it was not the master of the jungle speaking to a man-cub, but one who was afraid coming before one who was not. His three sons rolled side by side behind their father. Mowgli hardly lifted his head as Hathi gave him good hunting. He kept him swinging and rocking and shifting from one foot to another for a long time before he spoke, and when he opened his mouth it was to Bagheera, not to the elephants. I will tell a tale that was once told to me by the hunter ye hunted today, said Mowgli. It concerns an elephant, old and wise, who fell into a trap, 
and the sharpened stake in the pit scarred him from a little above his heel to the crest of his shoulder, leaving a white mark. Mowgli threw out his hand, and as Hathi wheeled, the moonlight showed a long white scar on his slaty side, as though he had been struck with a red-hot whip. Men came to take him from the trap, Mowgli continued, but he broke his ropes, for he was strong, and he went away till his wound was healed. Then came he, angry, by night to the fields of those hunters. And I remember now that he had three sons. These things happened many, many rains ago, and very far away, among the fields of Burtpur. What came to those fields at the next reaping, Hathi? They were reaped by me and by my three sons, said Hathi. And to the plowing that follows the reaping, said Mowgli? There was no plowing, said Hathi. And to the men that live by the green crops on the ground, said Mowgli? They went away. And to the huts in which the men slept, said Mowgli? We tore the roofs to pieces, and the jungle swallowed up the walls, said Hathi. And what more besides, said Mowgli? As much good ground as I can walk over in two nights, from the east to the west, and from the north to the south, as much as I can walk over in three nights, the jungle took. We let in the jungle upon five villages, and in those villages, and in their lands, the gazing ground, and the soft crop grounds, there is not one man today who gets his food from the ground. That was the sack of the fields of Burtpur, which I and my three sons did. And now I ask, man-cub, how the news of it came to thee, said Hathi. A man told me, and now I see that Boldio can speak truth. It was well done, Hathi, with the white mark, but the second time it shall be done better, for the reason that there is a man to direct. Thou knowest the village of the man-pack that cast me out? They are idle, senseless, and cruel. They play with their mouths and they do not kill their weaker for food, but for sport. And when they are full-fed, they would throw their own breed into the red flower. This I have seen. It is not well that they should live here any more. I hate them. Kill, then, said the youngest of Hathi's three sons, picking up a tuft of grass, dusting it against his forelegs and throwing it away, while his little red eyes glanced furtively from side to side. What good are white bones to me? Mowgli answered furiously. Am I the cub of a wolf to play in the sun with a raw head? I have killed Shere Khan, and his hide rots on the council rock. But, but I do not know whether Shere Khan is gone, and my stomach is still empty. Now I will take that which I can see and touch. Let in the jungle upon that village, Hathi. Bagheera shivered and cowered down. He could understand, if the worst came to the worst, a quick rush down the village street and a right and left blow into a crowd, or a crafty killing of men as they ploughed in the twilight. But this scheme for deliberately blotting out an entire village from the eyes of man and beast frightened him. Now he saw why Mowgli had sent for Hathi. No one but the long-lived elephant could plan and carry out such a war. Let them run as the men ran from the fields of Burtpur, till we have the rainwater for the only plough, and the noise of the rain on the thick leaves for the pattering of their spindles, 
till Bagheera and I lair in the house of the Brahmin, and the buck drink at the tank behind the temple. Let in the jungle, Hathi. But I, but we have no quarrel with them, and it needs the red rage of great pain ere we take down the places where men sleep, said Hathi, rocking doubtfully. Are ye the only eaters of grass in the jungle? Drive in your peoples. Let the deer and the pig and the nilgai look at it. You need never show a hand's breadth of hide till the fields are naked. Let in the jungle, Hathi. There will be no killing? My tusks were red from the sacks of the fields of Burtbor, and I would not wake that smell again. Nor I. I do not wish even their bones to lie on our clean earth. Let them go and find a fresh lair. They cannot stay here. I have seen and smelt the blood of the woman that gave me food, the woman whom they would have killed but for me. Only the smell of the new grass on their doorsteps can take away that smell. It burns in my mouth. Let in the jungle, Hathi. Ah, said Hathi, so did the scar of the stake burn on my hide till we watched their villages die under the spring growth. Now I see. Thy war shall be our war. We will let in the jungle. Mowgli had hardly time to catch his breath. He was shaking all over with rage and hate, before the place where the elephants had stood was empty, and Bagheera was looking at him with terror. By the broken lock that freed me, said the Black Panther at last, art thou the naked thing I spoke for in the pack when all was young? Master of the jungle, when my strength goes, speak for me, speak for Baloo, speak for all us. We are cubs before thee, snap twigs underfoot, fawns that have lost their doe. The idea of Bagheera being a stray fawn upset Mowgli altogether, and he laughed and caught his breath, and sobbed and laughed again, till he had to jump into a pool to make himself stop. Then he swam round and round, ducking in and out of the bars of the moonlight like the frog, his namesake. By this time, Hathi and his three sons had turned, each to one point of the compass, and were striding silently down the valleys a mile away. They went on and on for two days' march, that is to say, along sixty miles, through the jungle, while every step they took and every wave of their trunks was known and noted and talked over by Mang and Chill and the monkey people and all the birds. Then they began to feed and fed quietly for a week or so. Hathi and his sons are like Ka the rock python. They never hurry till they have to. At the end of that time, and none knew who had started it, a rumor went through the jungle that there was better food and water to be found in such and such a valley. The pig, who, of course, will go to the ends of the earth for a full meal, moved first by companies, scuffling over the rocks, and the deer followed, with the little wild foxes that live on the dead and the dying of the herds, and the heavy-shouldered nilgai moved parallel with the deer, and the wild buffaloes of the swamps came after the nilgai. The least little thing would have turned the scattered, straggling droves that grazed and sauntered and drank and grazed again. But whenever there was an alarm, someone would rise up and soothe them. At one time, it would be Sahi, the porcupine, full of news of good feed just a little farther on, 
and another mang would cry cheerily and flap down a glade to show it was all empty. Or Baloo, his mouth full of roots, would shamble alongside a wavering line and half-frighten, half-romp it clumsily back to the proper road. Very many creatures broke back or ran away or lost interest, but very many were left to go forward. At the end of another ten days or so, the situation was this. The deer and the pig and the nilgai were milling round and round in a circle of eight or ten miles radius, while the eaters of flesh skirmished around its edge. And the center of that circle was the village, and round the village the crops were ripening, and in the crops set man, on which they called machans, platforms like pigeon perches made of sticks at the top of four poles, to scare away birds and other stealers. Then the deer were coaxed no more. The eaters of flesh were close behind them, and forced them forward and inward. It was a dark night when Hathi and his three sons slipped down from the jungle and broke off the poles of the machans with their trunks, and they fell as a snapped stalk of hemlock in bloom falls, and the men that tumbled from them heard the deep gurgling of the elephants in their ears. Then the vanguard of the bewildered armies of deer broke down and flooded into the village grazing grounds and the ploughed fields, and the sharp-hooved, rooting wild pig came with them, and when the deer left, the pig spoiled, and from time to time an alarm of wolves would shake the herds, and they would rush to and fro desperately, treading down the young barley and cutting flat the banks of the irrigating channels. Before the dawn broke, the pressure on the outside of the circle gave way at one point. The eaters of flesh had fallen back and left an open path to the south, and drove upon drove of buck fled along it. Others, who were bolder, lay up in the thickets to finish their meal next night. But the work was practically done. When the villagers looked in the morning, they saw their crops were lost. That meant death if they did not get away, for they lived year in and year out, as near to starvation as the jungle was near to them. When the buffaloes were sent to graze, the hungry brutes found that the deer had cleared the grazing grounds, and so wandered into the jungle and drifted off with their wild mates, and when twilight fell, the three or four ponies that belonged to the village lay in their stables with their heads beaten in. Only Bagheera could have given those strokes, and only Bagheera would have thought of insolently dragging the last carcass to the open street. The villagers had no heart to make fires in the field that night, so Hathi and his three sons went gleaning among what was left, and where Hathi gleans there is no need to follow. The men decided to live on their stored seed corn until the rains had fallen, and then to take work as servants till they could catch up with the lost year. But as the grain dealer was thinking of his well-filled crates of corn and the prices he would levy at the sale of it, Hathi's sharp tusks were picking out the corner of his mud house and smashing up the big wicker chest, leaped with cow dung where precious stuff lay. When that last loss was discovered, it was Brahmin's turn to speak. He had prayed to his own gods without answer. It might be, he said, that unconsciously, the village had offended some one of the gods of the jungle, for beyond doubt the jungle was against them. So they sent for the head man of the nearest tribes of wandering gons, little wise and very black hunters, living in the deep jungle, 
whose fathers came of the oldest race in India, the aboriginal owners of the land. They made the Gond welcome with what they had, and he stood on one leg, his bow in his hand, and two or three poisoned arrows stuck through his top knot, looking half afraid and half contemptuously at the anxious villagers and their ruined fields. They wished to know whether his gods, the old gods, were angry with them, and what sacrifices should be offered. The Gond said nothing, but picked up a trail of the Karela, the vine that bears the bitter wild gourd, and laced it to and fro across the temple door in the face of the staring red Hindu image. Then he pushed with his hand in the open air along the road to Kaniwara, and went back to his jungle, and watched the jungle people drifting through it. He knew that when the jungle moves, only white men can hope to turn it aside. There was no need to ask his meaning. The wild gourd would grow where they had worshipped their god, and the sooner they saved themselves, the better. But it is hard to tear a village from its moorings. They stayed on as long as any summer food was left to them, and they tried to gather nuts in the jungle, but shadows with glaring eyes watched them, and rolled before them even at midday, and when they ran back afraid to their walls, on the tree trunks they had passed not five minutes before, the bark would be stripped and chiseled with the stroke of some great taloned paw. The more they kept to their village, the bolder grew the wild things that gambled and bellowed in the grazing grounds by the Wangunga. They had no heart to patch and plaster the rear walls of the empty byres that backed onto the jungle. The wild pig trampled them down, and the naughty-rooted vines hurried after and threw their elbows over the new-won ground, and the coarse grass bristled behind the vines. The unmarried men ran away first, and carried the news far and near that the village was doomed. Who could fight, they said, against the jungle, or the gods of the jungle, when the very village cobra had left his hole in the platform under the people? So their little commerce with the outside world shrunk as the trodden paths across the open grew fewer and fainter and the nightly trumpetings of Hathi and his three sons ceased to trouble them. They had no more to go. The crop on the ground and the seed in the ground had been taken. The outlying fields were already losing their shape, and it was time to throw themselves on the charity of the English at Kaniwara. Native fashion, they delayed their departure from one day to another, till the first rains caught them, and the unmended roofs let in a flood and the grazing ground stood ankle-deep, and all green things came on with a rush after the heat of the summer. Then they waded out, men, women, and children, through the blinding hot rain of the morning, but turned naturally for one farewell look at their homes. They heard, as the last burdened family filed through the gate, a crash of falling beams and thatch behind the walls. They saw a shiny, snaky, black trunk lifted for an instant, scattering sodden thatch. It disappeared, and there was another crash, followed by a squeal. Hathi had been plucking off the roofs of the huts as you pluck water lilies, and a rebounding beam had pricked him. He needed only this to unchain his full strength, for of all things in the jungle, the wild elephant enraged is the most wantonly destructive. He kicked backward at a mud wall that crumbled at the stroke, and, crumbling, melted to yellow mud under the torrents of rain. 
Then he wheeled and squealed, and tore through the narrow streets, leaning against the huts right and left, shivering the crazy doors and crumpling up the eaves, while his three sons raged behind as they had raged at the sack of the fields of Burtpore. The jungle will swallow these swells, said a quiet voice in the wreckage. It is the outer walls that must lie down, said Mowgli, and with the rain sluicing over his bare shoulders and arms, leaped back from a wall that was settling like a tired buffalo. All in good time, panted Hathi. Oh, but my tusks were red at Burtpore. To the outer wall, children, with the head, together, now. The four pushed side by side. The outer wall bulged, split, and fell, and the villagers, dumb with horror, saw the savage, clay-streaked heads of the wreckers in the ragged gap. Then they fled, houseless and foodless, down the valley as their village, shredded and tossed and trampled, melted behind them. A month later, the place was a dimpled mound, covered with soft, green young stuff, and by the end of the rains, there was the roaring jungle in full blast on the spot that had been under plow not six months before. <laughs>